there's a guy named Kevin DeYoung who writes a blog, uh, and one day he wrote about different ideas that people have about Jesus. So you may find yourself in one of these ways, one of these ideas. There's the Republican Jesus, he says, who is against tax increases and activist judges for family values and owning firearms. There's Democrat Jesus, who is against Wall Street and Walmart for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. There's Therapist Jesus, who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells how valuable we are, and not to be so hard on ourselves. There's Starbucks Jesus, who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid, and goes to film festivals. There's Open-Minded Jesus, who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for people who are not as open-minded as you are. There's Touchdown Jesus, who helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. There's Martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death so we can feel sorry for him. There's Gentle Jesus, who is meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair, and walks around barefoot wearing a sash while looking very German. There's Hippie Jesus, Hippie Jesus, who teaches everyone to give peace a chance. Imagines a world without religion and helps us remember that all you need is love. There's yuppie Jesus who encourages us to reach our full potential, reach for the stars, and buy a boat. There's spirituality Jesus who hates religion, churches, pastors, priests, and doctrine and would rather have people out in nature finding the God within while listening to ambiguously spiritual music. There's platitude Jesus, good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, and bad sermons inspiring people to believe in themselves. There's revolutionary Jesus, who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man, and blame things on the system. There's guru Jesus, a wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you find your center. There's boyfriend Jesus, who wraps his arms around us as we sing about his intoxicating love in our secret place. There's good example Jesus, who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. Anybody... I miss anybody? Who is Jesus to you? When you think about Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the, of the whole world, when you think about Jesus Christ, who is he to you? Savior. God. We're going to talk about Jesus today. Sean, that is a very novel idea, considering that this is a Christian church, considering you are a Christian pastor, considering you are, uh, preach Christian messages. It's a, how are we going to talk about Jesus? Because that's what we're going to talk about. Jesus Christ is who we're going to talk about today. We are going to continue in our study of Colossians. We are talking about living in the name of Jesus. Not just praying in his name. Not just giving him lip service on a Sunday morning. But living every day in the name of Jesus Christ. Living out our faith each day. It is all a part of our theme for the year. What's our theme for the year? Get fired up. I want to hear that louder this time. What's the theme for the year? We're getting fired up. We are getting fired up for Christ. We are getting fired up as a family. We are getting fired up as believers in Jesus Christ. No more lukewarm Christianity, no more wishy-washy Christians, uh, no more Sunday morning only faith, no more checking our faith at the door when we pick up our coats and then drop off our coats next Sunday morning and pick up our faith. We're living out our faith each and every day. We are getting fired up for Christ. That's what we're doing this year. And today we are talking about living a faithful 
life. Last week we talked about living a, a worthy life. Today we're talking about living a faithful life. And this is, t- this is tough stuff. Living a faithful life. What does it mean to be faithful unto death? To every day live in Jesus' name. Like you said, not just giving it lip service, not checking it at the door, not picking it up on Sunday morning. We're talking about living every day in Jesus' name. So if you've got a Bible or if you can locate one, turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And that's where we're going to start today. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. That's our main passage for today. We're going to, there's going to, be a, we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. Um, it's going to go kind of fast, so I just want to let you know about that. But we're going to start in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. The first thing we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about who is Jesus Christ. If you have a bulletin this morning, on page 3 of your bulletin is the handy-dandy outline. You're going to see that we're going to answer three questions today. There are three questions that we're going to answer, and you've got some blanks to fill in there. The first question we're going to answer is, who is Jesus Christ? Turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 15, verses 15 through 20, or 15 through 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The first blank on your outline, Jesus is first. He is the firstborn over all creation. Before anything was brought into uh, existence, before anything was made, before the universe, the stars, the sun, the moon, you, me, anything, Jesus was. He was there. He is the firstborn over all creation. He is first. He is number one. There was nothing that was created that was not created by him or for him or through him. He is pre-existent. Before anything and everything that you see, Jesus was. Jesus is first. The firstborn over all creation. We also see that Jesus is not just firstborn over all creation, but he was the firstborn from among the dead. In John uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2, we see that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus is first. He is, like I said, he is also the he's firstborn over all creation. He is firstborn from among the dead. Now, this is very important. Uh, Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead, right? He, he brought Lazarus back to life. But you know what? Lazarus died again. Lazarus did not... Uh, live eternally after he was raised from the dead. He died again. Jesus, when he was raised on the third day, when God raised him from the dead on the third day, he was raised to new life. He was raised to eternal life. Jesus never died again, nor will he ever die again. Jesus is alive forevermore, forever and ever and ever. He was raised to eternal life. But you know what? He is not the last one who will be raised to eternal life. In Romans chapter six. If you, have, if you want to turn to that, in Romans chapter 6, we read this. Romans 6, 3 through 9. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Certainly united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self, our old self, (laughs) I flipped to the wrong page, was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. God, uh, Jesus Christ, cannot die again. And because we are united with him in baptism, united, buried with him in death, and raised to new life, we have the promise that just as he was raised, we too will be raised. We will be resurrected to eternal life. That though we may die here on planet Earth, though we may die, our bodies may, uh, may die, we will be raised to new life because we belong to Jesus, because we have been united with him in baptism, into his death, and also into his resurrection. We will be raised again. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to talk about the second blank on your outline. Jesus is first. Jesus is supreme. Verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The supremacy over all things. That phrase, the words all things are used five times. They're used five times in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And I want you to look at these real quick. Jesus created all things. All things were created for him. He is before all things. All things hold together in him. And God will reconcile to himself all things in Jesus Christ. All things, everything. In fact, that phrase, that word occurs one more time. Everything in, uh, in verse 18. In everything he might have the supremacy. He is supreme over all things. He is supreme over everything. Jesus is supreme. It's not to say he's Diana Ross. Jesus is the supreme. He is supreme. There's a guy by the name of Morning Hawk Apollo. He's a Wiccan who used to be a Christian. And this is what he says. Uh, This is his, his quote. He left Christianity. He says, Ultimately why I left is that the Christian God demands that you submit to his will. In Wicca, it's just the other way around. Your will is paramount. We believe in gods and goddesses, but the deities we choose to serve are based on our wills. Well, I have a little message for Mr. Apollo from Morning Hawk. This is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. It says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and uh, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now let me tell you what that means. You can, you can believe in whatever God or goddess you want to believe in. You can believe that your will controls theirs. But when it comes down to it, the supreme God, Jesus Christ, says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you know, let me tell you whose will that is. That is Jesus' will, the supreme God's will. All right? I've said it before, it doesn't matter. You can, you can live your whole life and reject Jesus. You can live your whole life and reject God and say, I don't want anything to do with you, God. I don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. And God will honor that choice. He will honor that choice and say, it is up to you. That is your choice. You can deny me. You can reject me. But there is coming a day 
There is coming a day when we will stand before the judgment throne of God and the name Jesus will be said and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Either willingly, I will bow willingly because he is my Lord. Or if angels have to push you to your knees and, and move your mouth for you like a puppet, you will confess. Everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. He is supreme. There is no doubt about it. There is no doubt. It will happen. And let me tell you whose will that is. That is God's will. And it will happen for every single one of us. And you know what? That brings me to the last blank there in the first part of your outline. And that is Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He is not a God. He is not like God. He is God. Don't ask me to explain it. How, how Jesus can be God and the Father can be God and the Spirit can be God. And don't ask me to explain the inner workings of the Trinity because I have a finite mind and it is an infinite concept and there is no way that I could possibly explain it to you. I can use uh, the example of an egg or example of an ice cube and honestly it, 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 it just doesn't make sense because my brain is limited and God's brain is unlimited, and he can, he'll, we'll figure it out someday. On that day when the knees bow and the tongues confess, and God is revealed, and he kind of opens our minds and, and says, you know, this is how the Trinity works. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, I get it now. But here on planet Earth, I don't understand it. I don't, I, don't ha- I don't have it figured out. But this is what I do know. I do know what the Bible tells me. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The Word was with God, the Word, Jesus Christ, was with God, and the Word was God. Not a God, not some God. He was God. Jesus is God. Here in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In all things, Jesus is God. Like I said, don't ask me to explain it. But you know what? Here's the cool thing about Jesus being God. is If you want to know what God is like, look at the life of Jesus. You want to know what Jesus is like? Look at God. Because they are one and the same. Jesus is God. And I can't explain it. But I know that it's true. Because that is what the Bible tells me. And I believe that the Bible is true. There's a wonderful story in Luke chapter 6. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. It says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. This is Luke seven thirty-six. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. And she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, 
But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love that story because I think I put myself in the story and and the sin in my life, the, the sins that I've committed, the things that I have done, and I turn to God for forgiveness and I wonder, God, can you even forgive me? Could you ever possibly forgive me for the things that I've thought, the things that I've said, the things that I've done? Could you ever forgive me? And I look at the story of Jesus and the woman who was a sinner and I think, I'm like that woman. And I come to his feet and I cry my tears of of repentance and I say, God, forgive me. And when I see that Jesus in uh, in his tender love for humanity says, woman, your sins are forgiven. He says to me, Sean, your sins are forgiven. God looks at me because Jesus is God and I know that God looks at me and says, Sean, your sins are forgiven. And he looks at you and he says the same thing. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Go and leave your life of sin. Your sins are forgiven because I loved you. Because I love you so much. I went to the cross. I died for your sins. I took the punishment that your sins deserve because you deserve death. You deserve hell. You deserve punishment. And I will take it on myself, Jesus said. I will take your punishment on myself. I will suffer for you. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And Jesus shed his blood so that there could be forgiveness. Not just for you, not just for me, but for the entire world. Jesus died once for all. And now we can have that forgiveness. If we will put our faith and trust in Christ, accept his offer of salvation through, by God's grace through faith in his Son. And we will repent and we will say, God, I don't want to live for sin anymore. I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for you. If we will confess and say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for my sins and we will be baptized. Our sins will be washed away, past, present, and future. And we can live that life of faithfulness as the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. You want to know what Jesus is like? Look at God, because Jesus is God. The second question we have to answer is, what has Jesus done? What did Jesus do? What has Jesus done for us? Look at Colossians 1.15 and Colossians 1.19. In Colossians 1.15, Paul wrote, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, I'm sorry, I have the wrong passage. Look at verse 21, or verse 20. Uh, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. He has reconciled us. He has taken two parties that were separated and has brought them back together. 
Because of our sinful behavior, because of the things that we have said, the sinful things that we have done, the lies that we have told, the thoughts that we have thought, the lustful, angry, murderous thoughts that we have thought, because of the actions that, the disobedient actions that we have turned away from God and have, have lived for ourselves and, and have been selfish and self-centered and have taken things that don't belong to us and, and the, the sins that we have committed, all of the ugly sins that we have committed, we were enemies of God. I don't know about you. I don't want to be God's enemy. That's a fight I can't win. And you can't win it either. I don't want to be God's enemy. God doesn't want to be my enemy. God says, I will send my son. And through his physical body, through the death he died on the cross, we can be friends. I will reconcile us. We will be reconciled to God Though we were separate, he brings us back together. Jesus came to fix that relationship that was broken by sin. And Jesus paid the price. And every sin we've ever committed can be washed away, can be forgiven. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling Uh, the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in Romans 5, 10 and 11, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It is a theme that runs through the letters of Paul. It's a theme that runs through Scripture of God taking that which is broken and fixing it. And God takes that broken relationship, that broken relationship. Once there was a time when, when, when men and women, when Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, they had a close, intimate relationship with God, and then they sinned. And they broke that relationship. And, it, and when Jesus came, he said, I will fix this relationship. And now we can have a loving relationship with God. I am convinced that God does not want a bunch of mindless, robotic rule followers. Wait a minute, God doesn't want me to follow the rules. Woohoo, party time! That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that God wants a loving relationship with you. And that when we have a relationship with God, when we have this relationship with God, we do not want to offend. We do not want to disobey. We do not want to sin. Because I don't want to hurt God. It's like my relationship with my wife. I love my wife. So why would I want to hurt her in any way? Why would I want to sin against her in any way? Why would I want to say things about her that are either untrue or that are mean? Or say things to her that are mean? Why would I want to lie to her? She's wondering that very question right now. Why would you? Why would I want to hurt her in any way? It's because I have a loving relationship with her. And I don't want to hurt her in any way. It's the same thing with God. I have this loving relationship with God. He has instigated, he has, uh, he has brought about this relationship through his son. He has restored this relationship. He has reconciled me to himself. Why would I want to sin against him? If I love him, I will do what he commands. 
If I love him, I will obey him. I have a relationship with God. And it's different than being a rule follower. By being, if I'm a rule follower, I can say, well, I'm pretty good. I follow the rules most of the time. Or I can follow rules out of fear. I can say, oh, so God's going to get me if I don't follow his rules. Or I can say, I have a relationship with God. And I am going to do what he commands because I love God. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. God desires a relationship, not a robotic, mindless rule follower. So, Jesus is God. He is supreme. He is first. He has died for our sins so that we might be reconciled to God. What do we do? In light of what God has done for us by sending his son to die for our sins, what should we do? We continue in faith. The last question there is what must we do? We must continue in faith. Verse 23 of Colossians 1. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. We must continue in faith, established and remain firm. Do not give up. Though hard times may come, though trials may, may uh, come down the, the pike towards us, may, though we may go through tribulations, though we may uh, have severe heartache, though we may have severe physical pain, do not give up. Do not turn your back on God. Remain faithful unto death, established and firm. You know what this has to do with? It has to do with being fired up comes back to that theme of being fired up saying i i'm not gonna let that fire in me die i'm gonna stoke those fires through bible study and through prayer i will live for jesus i will be fired up for christ i will not turn my back on him we're gonna sing a song of invitation in just a second in just a few moments i have decided to follow jesus I have made that choice. I have decided the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. I will never turn back. I will not turn away. I will follow Jesus. I will be fired up for Christ. There is no turning back. I will be established. I will be firm. I will never give up on God no matter what happens because God will never give up on me. His character never changes. His faithfulness never ends. God is faithful to us. We must remain faithful to him. I think about some special people in our congregation when I think about faithfulness. People who have seen hard times, people who have seen difficulties. I think about our elderberries who have been faithful to God, who have been faithful to Christ who have said, no matter what has come, the loss of loved ones, financial problems, pain and physical illnesses, and they say, we are faithful. And every Sunday they're here, faithfully coming. They have served God. I'm not going to tell you how long they served God. They've served God their whole lives. That's how long they served God. That's how long they've loved Jesus. They are established and they are firm in their faith. Are you? As you get older, as your body may break down, your hair may or may not turn white, may or may not fall out, 
Will your faith remain firm? Will your faith remain steadfast? Will you stay faithful unto death? That is the question. So how are you going to live a faithful life this week? This week, I'm not talking about 10 years from now. I'm not talking about 20 years from now. I'm talking about tomorrow. When you walk out of this place today, how will you live a faithful life? Will you remain faithful unto death? Will you be fired up for Christ? Will you stay the course? Will you walk the narrow road? Will you enter through the narrow gate? Will you be faithful unto Jesus, unto death? Will you go against the flow and not follow the crowd to destruction? Will you walk like Christ wants you to walk? Have you decided? Have you decided to follow Jesus? No turning back. Heavenly Father, thank you, God. For the example of Christ who did not turn back from the cross but walked straightway to Jerusalem. Walked straightway under the heavy cross to Calvary and where he died for our sins. He was faithful to his cause. He was faithful to you. He was faithful to us. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Thank you for sending your son. For becoming flesh. For paying the price paying the penalty, and dying for our sins. God, help us to be faithful this week. Help us to live a fired-up life for you. Give us the grace when we fall short. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.